1: You are listening to the One Good Scare podcast with Natalie Zamora and Max Mallow. Hey everyone, welcome back to a new episode of the One Good Scare Podcast. I'm Natalie Zamora, and I'm here with my co-host Max Mallow, and we're going to continue on with the Fear Street movies this week and get into our review for the second movie, 1978.
2: Yes, and this is a special episode because we're together in the office for the first time. First time since COVID. Kind of weird, but also kind of awesome considering that this is the first time we've recorded the podcast together, and... We're excited to talk about part two we both enjoyed part two a lot more than part one and of course part three came out today the the day that podcast episode will be released and that will be reviewed last week and then that'll be the end of the trilogy and we can move on to i think true blood for the summer right
1: yeah yep i'm excited to move on to true blood but these movies are really awesome so i'm just as excited to get into uh The second movie. So before we do that, we do have to shout out um, our quick sponsor here. So, you know, summer is here. Our friends at Manscaped have your hairy bodies covered. They just launched their fourth generation performance package which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0 trim from the leaders in male grooming. So the man in your life can join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code fansited 20 If you listen to this podcast before, you know Max is part of those two million men worldwide. So you know we 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 trust Manscaped. We're good. Uh, so. Don't forget, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com.
2: Awesome. And now, of course, before we get into our review of 1978, we have to do our weekly Horror News Roundup where Natalie has discovered the internet for everything you need to know in terms of horror news, plus i put something in here because everyone needs to know about this uh but the first piece of news more dexter revival announcements and we got another actor confirmed jennifer carpenter is returning to the dexter revival and of course jennifer carpenter is dexter's love interest- uh no sister, sister right yeah. not love interest they were married in real life. oh oh really okay cool so that's interesting um well at least not love interest in the show because that'd be weird because brother and sister um so yeah you know, you're a big Dexter fan. We obviously talked about the, what's the name of the killer? The Trinity the, Killer. The Trinity killer. Um, John Lithgow returning and obviously Jennifer Carpenter. So what do you think about Jennifer Carpenter?
1: Um, so another spoiler, she also died in the show too. So now people are kind of, you know, questioning what are they doing with this revival? They're putting all the big, you know, faces back on it, even though they have had very memorable deaths in the original series. So it's like, are you just doing this to get people to watch? Like, I don't understand. Um, so yeah, they're not gonna be returning in big roles, I'm assuming, but I guess just to kind of get people to watch, they're like, yep, Deb is returning somehow, some way, and I guess maybe that'll get people to watch as well, just to see like, how is she gonna return? Cause I'm curious, but I'm not too optimistic that it'll be anything good. <laughs>
2: Yeah. And of course, like how early does she die in this, in the show? Like pretty like midway later on. Later on? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I wonder if they're just going to like rewrite the ending of the show and just do something completely different from a point onwards, or if it's just going to pick up right after the finale ended. Cause I know people weren't happy with the finale, but if both of these returnees in uh, Lithgow and Carpenter, are both like flashbacks, that'll be pretty Pretty lame for all those Dexter fans out there. But moving on now, a piece of news for those who might have missed this movie uh, because it came out kind of when vaccine rollout started to really ramp up, uh, but it's a movie that was highly anticipated, a movie Natalie saw in theaters. That was the first one back, right? Yeah. And she loved it. Uh, and that is A Quiet Place too, uh, too which is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. So if you didn't go to a theater for whatever reasons, um, you can now stream it on your internet, uh, which is awesome because I haven't seen it yet. I need to see it. It's got amazing reviews, which is rare for a sequel to a movie that many consider was going to be a one-off, but Emily Blunt is apparently amazing in it. Once again, um, your boy is in it, who you absolutely love. And I don't want to get into spoilers, but you you love this movie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I really liked it. I added this to the list just to remind Max that he needs to watch it. And uh, we we could have done a review if, if, you know, it came to streaming service along with theaters. But yeah, I saw it in theaters. It was so awesome. Really, really great movie. I loved it. So everyone watch it. I'm sure you can get a free trial for Paramount Plus if you don't want to actually uh, have a subscription. But yeah, definitely would recommend it.
2: For sure. Now, if this sounds weird, by the way, we are recording on one microphone. We're passing it back and forth. So... If anything sounds weird, um, it's understandable, but, you know, it's still fun to be recording this in person together. Uh, And then the last piece of news, which is something I had to throw in there, and I forced Natalie to listen and watch this. um, Ice Nine Kills, one of my favorite metal bands, uh, has announced their next album, which is going to be called The Silver Screen 2, Welcome to Horrorwood. Now, for people who aren't, you know, too knowledgeable in metal or that's not their their type of music, um, Ice Nine Kills has a long history of being horror fans with two albums ago, every trick in the book being based after famous horror literature and the the likes of Jekyll and Hyde and Dracula. And then they released an album three years ago. Now, I believe in 20 or is it 2019? I can't remember, but it was called the silver scream. And the whole concept of the album was songs based off of horror movies, which as a huge metal fan and a huge horror buff, I was like, this is awesome. And I have a signed poster from the band of the album. I went to like five or six shows for that entire tour, and I absolutely loved it. Um, I also met him at Warp Tour once. That was cool. I'm going to be 28 this year, but I still act like I'm a 17-year-old child. Totally fine. Um, So yeah, the new album is called The Silver Scream 2, Welcome to Horrorwood. It is very much a sequel to the last album, and some people were saying it might be the, the title might be an ode to Goosebumps because Horrorland was a, a popular Goosebumps uh, like sub-series, I believe. And, of course, Horrorwood, Hollywood, that makes total sense. Uh, and the new single for the album uh, is called Hip To Be Scared, which is obviously a pun on Hip To Be Square, Huey Lewis in the News. If it's all connecting, it's a song about American Psycho. It's awesome. I made Natalie watch the video. I made her listen to it. She has put those emo days behind her. She's not totally into this type of music anymore, but give me your thoughts on it.
1: Um, I like the song. It was decent, but the video was definitely better. I appreciated that the video it was really cool, it was super well-made and had a bunch of, you know, references to American Psycho. Um, a lot of the classic scenes from American Psycho were redone and yeah, it was really cool. I enjoyed it.
2: Yeah. And the video, most notably, it does, like Natalie mentioned, includes some famous imagery like the uh, the sex scene in the bedroom and, and the scene where Patrick Bateman chases around the, the woman in the apartment building with the chainsaw. But the, the highlight of the music video, without spoiling too much, is there's a feature on the song uh, from Jacoby Shaddix, who is notably the lead singer of Papa Roach, you know, cut my life into pieces, all that type of stuff. And Spencer Charnis, the lead singer of Ice Night Kills, plays Patrick Bateman in the scene. And Jacoby Shaddix, plays paul allen who obviously was depicted by jared leto that's all you need to know go watch the video if you don't like that type of music i implore you just to push through it for all the imagery because uh the band loves horror uh they're very true to the genre spencer appeared on dead meat podcast with uh, Je- uh chelsea and james I almost a jessica and james <laughs> um you know so he's a huge fan uh obviously we love dead meat we talk about dead meat all the time on the show and i uh yeah i hope you guys check out the album but that's enough about that because i can talk about ice nine kills for the entire episode and hopefully one day we have Spencer on the show that'd be so cool but it's time to get into our review of fear street 2 1978 and the general consensus before we get into this and talk about the synopsis of the movie because a lot goes on in terms of the lore i think off the bat we loved this one and liked it more than the first part
1: Yeah, definitely. I really liked the first one, like we talked about last episode. I think I liked it more than Max did. But um, so that kind of I had high expectations based off the first one. But like we talked about in our last episode, the first movie did have, you know, some faults. Um, And then going into this one, I mean between the two timelines i mean 1994 that's the year i was born 90s child of course but 1978 i always just grew up loving like 70s music classic rock and just kind of you know the aesthetic if you will of the 70s so i was hyped for this one and it definitely it definitely delivered i love this movie
2: yeah i feel like it's more cohesive of a movie. There's more yeah. beats that it's easier to follow. It's not as fast paced. It's not just like committing crimes and felonies in a world. And it's like, just believe what's going on because they're being chased by serial killers and it's 1994, which, you know, could have made more sense because we mentioned how, like, they stole a cop's gun and an ambulance and broke into a supermarket. But this movie uh, very much is an ode to things like Friday the 13th, Sleepaway Camp. Uh, it takes place primarily at a summer camp called Camp Nightwing in Shady Side, and the, this movie does not let you forget that there is a war between Sunnyvale and Shady Side. It is nonstop in your face. Like during my viewing with my girlfriend, I was just like, "God, can they just take like five scenes to not mention Shady Side and, uh, and uh, Sunnyvale?" Sunnyvale. It's a it's a tongue twister, but yeah, that it got a little old at a point, but I really like this one. The characters are great in this one. The actors are awesome. We'll talk about, uh, you know, the notable faces that pop up and, and some of the ones we weren't privy to, but now really enjoy. And, um, yeah. I mean, you want to get into the synopsis? Yeah. Okay, cool. So this movie picks up right when 1994 ends. Of course, the, the first part ended with Dina and Josh, our last two protagonists. Mm -hmm. Um, Got encountered by Sarah Fear once again, possessing the body of Sam, and they wrapped her up with a phone cord. And I was like, "Wait, that phone cord's really strong. I don't know how she did that, especially because she just got stabbed." But movies. Uh, and they they get a call back from C. Berman, who was supposed to be this uh, character who was going to help them cleanse themselves of the curse of Sarah Fear. And you know, they're like, "Oh no, we beat it," and, and C. Berman's like, "No, you can't beat it. What are you talking about?" So they end up at C Berman's house. And what I kind of liked about this one was it, it felt like a fear street book because the entire story is a retelling of 1978, which is cool. And it's told from the per or told from the perspective of C Berman, who is portrayed by Jillian Jacobs, who I've already mentioned voiced Adam Eve in the awesome superhero show uh, invincible. Go watch it now. Um, but, yeah, after they sit down, um, it's like funny because like Dina and Josh like sit pretzel style in her like uh, like study or whatever, and he's like, "I'll tell you the tale of Camp Nightwing and my sister." And I was like, "Okay, this is cool. Like, if you're gonna set up a, a total movie based on a flashback, this is a good way to do it." Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think that they introduce C. Berman really well. You can tell she's more of like a recluse. She has all these alarms going off in her house, which it just seems as though they're not ever really explained, but it's just making it seem as though, you know, she's a paranoid person. And for whatever reason, she needs to lock her doors a million times. She needs to do that, this, that, and the third, just as her kind of ritual at being at home. So they did a good job, I think, of really introducing her as like she's been through some shit and let's figure out what happened. So as she's, you know, starting to tell Dina and Josh what happened, she does drop right at the beginning as she says, this is a picture of me and my sister when we were, you know, at Camp Nightwig. And she said um, a week later, my sister was dead. So we know right going into this that one of them is is not, not going to make it, which I thought was really gr- great because I personally love spoilers. I don't know about you, but it just makes me want to watch it more. Um, like I know if it's a crazy ending and I know the crazy ending, I'm like, oh shit, that's probably a really good movie. I want to know how they got there. So having that little snippet of like, you know she's going to die in this i don't know it made it more it made it more exciting for me if that makes sense
2: yeah that's kind of like how blind manor was right because the story is told by yeah. carlo giugino yeah 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 um and at the end everyone kind of knew who you know not to spoil blind manor we did a whole episode on that show and we didn't like it um but yeah, I definitely enjoy it. Like you know what you know what's going to come at the climax of the of the flashback, which is cool. So everything leading up to it needs to you know be cohesive and come together, and it does. And it does a good job at explaining how everything started to go wrong for all of our characters. Because of course, the whole trilogy is kind of acting backwards. It's not really a spoiler. You know, the the entire trailer and kind of explains that for the trilogy. But 1994 is supposed to be our main characters encounter this curse, just like a, a slasher movie from the 90s. 78 is the tale of how it all started. And then 1666, which we'll know at the end of it, is all about how the curse came to be. So I really like that we're working backwards, um, the Quentin Tarantino style of, <laughs> of you know, making movies. Start at the very end, go all the way back to the beginning, and then get back to the end somehow. So yeah, uh, after the picture, we kind of zoom in to the the camp landscape and we meet Ziggy and Ziggy is portrayed by Sadie Sink who is awesome as Maxine Max from Stranger Things and we interviewed Jeremy Ford who sadly is not in this part he's only in part one and three Uh, he mentioned that we're gonna get Stranger Things vibes from this entire trilogy not so much the first one for me outside of like the the mall scene but this one I got a lot of Stranger Things vibes from I don't know if it was kind of the camp setting, even though Stranger Things has never kind of dived into a summer camp. Mm-hmm. But on top of Sadie Sink being there, you know, Maya hawk's in the first one for like five minutes. Yeah, she, she gets axed real quick. Um, the, the characters in the second one make it really feel like Stranger Things. They're more authentic to me. They're not saying pound town <laughs> in the middle of a very important plot to rid themselves of a witch curse. So... What happens is we find Ziggy and she is being bullied by sunnyvale Yeah. Just mean people. Mean people. Mean, mean people um, which is... I don't know. It's a weird dynamic, right? Because we're told Shadyside is the crappy place where all the bad people live. And Sunnyvale is the good place where everything is nice and happy. But all the bad people live in Sunnyvale. And all the nice people live in Shadyside, apparently. So uh, she's getting bullied by mean girls. And two counselors, right? They show up uh, and... What well, we eventually find out is one of them is Nick Good, aka Sheriff Good from the first movie, and his brother. And their Sunny Valleys. We now find out that they were supposed to be kind of following the legacy of his dad. Yeah. Uh, one's a mayor, I believe, and, and one's the police chief. Yeah. And Nick is going to follow in his father's footsteps, which is cool because I like they're they're walking that narrative into the into the movie because we kind of got a lot of uh, a little bit of that in 1994 with uh, Sheriff Good and C Berman, mm. but. Yeah, she's getting bullied and just some some vulgar language for some children.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I love Sadie Singh from Stranger Things, of course, but I think she did such a good job in this movie right off the bat, just developing her character. She is kind of like Max in a way that she's very spunky and, you know, no bullshit. She doesn't care about being popular, all of that kind of stuff. So right off the bat, I was like, this is I love this character. I'm going to be ride or die with her until the end. Like, I absolutely loved her. So, yeah, we get on one hand uh, Ziggy. And like I said, she's more of, you know, a tomboy. She doesn't, you know, no bullshit attitude is basically what she is. And then we meet cindy who is her older sister who is the complete opposite she's very much a good girl she's cleaning the camp um she walks in on her you know fellow camp counselors having sex and she's disgusted very disappointed um so i think the first however long that was like 15 minutes of the movie or once we're in 78 really set up like all right here's the two sisters, they're complete opposites, and obviously we're going to have to see like one of them's going to die and one of them is going to live, obviously. So I think it did a really good job at kind of hyping up the story from there.
2: Yeah, and I think something to hammer home about this part compared to the first one as well is that Dina and Josh, who we both really like as characters, Mm -hmm. um, the movie doesn't necessarily set up their motivations extremely well. It's Mm -hmm. forced into... Dina was dating Sam, and then there's like a bit of subversion of if Sam is a boy or a girl. Um, And then Josh is just the nerd, the stereotypical nerd character, right? Uh, Dina's little brother. They're both awesome. Uh, Josh is by far my favorite character from the first movie. and I think you as well, right? You'd say Josh? Yeah. I really
1: like Dina too, but I I really like Josh as well, yeah.
2: Yeah, and then with, with Ziggy, I don't know if it's the writing or just the way they introduce her is like, okay, I definitely know what type of character she is and her motivations and same with Cindy. And the thing with Cindy is that as we'll, we'll get into the, the synopsis of the film is that why the way that she is, mm-hmm. is explained. It's believable. The motivations are very clear. And I hope that in the final part, we get a little more for Dina and Josh to kind of bring their characters full circle because they've been, you know, the main characters of the, of the trilogy. So I really hope that their characters get that justice in, in 1666. But yeah, the, the camp is fun. You know, it definitely looks like a summer camp. Kids are doing drugs. Um, particularly one character named Alice, who we meet and her boyfriend, Tommy, um, or sorry, Arnie, Tommy, Tommy 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 is Cindy's boyfriend who I got Robert Pattinson vibes from. I don't know why my girlfriend said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Natalie indulged me a little bit, but Um, Cindy and Tommy go to visit the infirmary where Alice, who we kind of assume right off the bat, but is later explained that they used to be best friends in Shadyside, but they're no longer pals. Alice kind of resents her and she's kind of like the stoner character, stereotypical from horror movies. Same thing with Tommy or Arnie, God, Arnie and Tommy. (laughs) That's annoying. Um, yeah, Alice and Arnie, uh, stoner characters you know, having sex at camp, being stereotypical horror characters. Uh, And the interesting part that kind of gets everything in motion is that from the bullying that Ziggy received, she has to go to the infirmary, right? So she goes to the infirmary, and there is someone named Nurse Lane. And immediately in my head, I was like, okay. But it clicks later on because Nurse Lane, you guys remember Ruby Lane from the first one, the connections are there. That is Ruby's mother. And Nurse Lane is a little cuckoo. She she flew over the cuckoo's nest once or twice. And she is obsessed with finding out what happened to her daughter. And that all connects to Sarah Fear. And outside of a, a weird interaction with Ziggy, uh, she goes from kind of being a little crazy to full-blown crazy when Cindy and Tommy go to the infirmary and out of nowhere nurse lane just randomly attacks her boyfriend.
1: Yeah. Um, that was creepy. That was a good, like first tense moment because I mean, we had it in the beginning, the opening of 1978 with, um, Ziggy being bullied and everything, but that's kind of, you know, that's, that's kid stuff as terrible as that is to say, this is full on like, okay, this woman might be possessed. Um, She tells Tommy that he's going to die that night. And of course, since we know what goes on in this town, we're immediately like, "Okay, he's going to die that night. And of course, Tommy, you know, doesn't believe it. Um, Cindy is scared, but they're kind of just like, "Okay, she went crazy and no explanation needed on their end. Except Cindy, who is a very much uh, a problem solver, was like, no, we need to figure out what happened to her. So let's take our first break, and then we'll be right back and continue on with what happens next. Okay, so like I said, Cindy is definitely, since she is a, a, a good girl, goody-two-shoes type of girl, she's trying to figure out what happened. She doesn't want to just leave it at, you know, uh, Nurse Lane went crazy, which is what everyone else is saying. So she's like, we need to investigate. They go uh, back into the infirmary, infirmary and they see – that uh, they find Ruby Lane's diary I think
2: or Nurse Lane's diary of Ruby yeah something like that
1: they find stuff that has seraphir all over it um so obviously that is a that is a huge flag to you know find out what happened we know that Ziggy believes in seraphir um we don't really know who else does i don't think Sydney really does at the time but so uh, Sydney Tommy Alice and Arnie are now kind of on on the on the go they're like we need to figure out uh what the Sarah Fear stuff is all about and why Nurse Lane was involved
2: yep kind of got like evil dead vibes here yeah. you know they're going to find a cabin in the woods and something bad's going to happen and I didn't know how if they're going to read it in like some kind of Necronomicon type of book but um also a little bit of Hansel and Gretel also there's a fire inspector talking in the microphone i don't know if you guys can hear that but that'll be interesting um so yeah they go to the cabin and while all that's going on the camp is setting up for a color war which is i never went to summer camp is that a thing summer campers do
1: i thought it was like capture the flag-esque but then color war i was like no i feel like i've heard of it but i've never participated
2: yeah me either i never went to summer camp so um As all that is going on, we definitely get two scenes now, like kind of two plot lines going in motion. We have the cabin in the woods, per se, and we have everything going on at Camp Nightwing. And while uh, our characters are going towards the cabin in the woods, focusing on the camp specifically, uh, we get more Ziggy action here now, a little more uh, character breakdown into who she is, and that mostly involves a uh, romance starting to bud with Nick. And this part is awesome because it lays out the groundwork for what's been going on in 1994. And both of them are really good. I totally believe it. Um, It's a good motivation piece for characters uh, at the camp, considering that, you know, right now there's not really much going on there. Like it's just a normal summer for all these people. But the movie does not let you forget that Sunny and Shady Siders hate each other. Like, I just can't get over how much they mention that. It drives me nuts to a point because we're halfway through the second movie at this point and they keep hammering home that both cities do not like each other. Uh, it is consistent, <laughs> but it's annoying. Um, so, part of it in terms of them connecting revolves around getting back at one of the mean girls who uh, bullies Ziggy and you know she was kind of plotting like a a carry type of prank with with pig's blood or something or paint and nick is like no nah, that doesn't work do something else and it turns out that she does a bucket full of nasty bugs and there's a lot of bugs and i looked away cuz i hate bugs <laughs> but the weird this was like the weirdest part of the movie for me because they go to ziggy's cabin the the mean girls yeah. and they just like write awful stuff on her wall, and I don't know if it's because like they wanted to just make it seem outlandish and just like out of place. But like they wrote like Ziggy is a witch bitch because the whole thing is that she's possessed by Seraphir for being a tomboy or something yeah. like that, and they some like a part of my language, of course, <laughs> but she's like Ziggy sucks dicks in hell or something like yeah. that.
1: Yeah, it was really terrible and it was weird but I also liked it cuz it really drilled like home that Ziggy has no friends here. Her sister is, you know, against her essentially because Ziggy is, you know, she's she's not like a rebel per se, but you know, she's not a rule follower like her sister and Nick is really the only person that gives her like time of day and is nice to her. And I loved how there was even a part, you know, when Nick is trying to hang out with her and she's like, You like Stephen King? Like you wouldn't like Stephen King. And he's like, Oh, I read all of his books. And so it was a cute moment where I feel like she could trust someone and that that was nice for me.
2: Yeah, and we kind of get a parallel here too between Dina and Sam. You have the the shady cider dating the Sunny Veiler and now kind of the same action here, a little bit of love interest. But that's the camp. Pretty much wrapped up is that they're getting ready for color war, and the sunny valers are like, "Let's go! We're gonna beat these stupid shady siders And Sh- and shady sides like, "All right, guys, let let's try our best." Yeah, I was like, oh, I feel so bad for <laughs> the shady Um So all, while that's all going on, we can pick back up with the the cabin in the woods plot because. This is where uh, the proverbial shit, yeah, it hits the fan. Uh, they end up finding the cabin, and it's not really a cabin. It's more of like a hidey hole slash hut yeah. slash uh, d- TP. Yeah, it was just some like crappy looking hideaway where um, this is presumed to be the witch's house that Alice says. And as this is going on, Alice continues to kind of nag on cindy for who she is and kind of being like a scaredy cat and i really like that because it as we get more towards the the kind of final act of the film alice's motivations are revealed as with uh, along with cindy's kind of character plot which is cool but as we get there um they're taking some kind of drug that they found and okay. at the end they they remember it's like, Arnie's like, L486, what could that be? I don't know. And he's like, I'm not feeling it. And Alice is like, take more. And I'm like, what is going on? Um, it turns out to be ibuprofen, a.k.a. Tylenol. So that's funny. But they get, they get to the witch's home, and they start investigating. And it's a bit of a maze down there. Because, in fact, the, the hut is kind of connected to this underground cavern, which is spooky. Um, but it all starts to go down when Tommy Cindy's boyfriend starts to hear voices. A la the same voices that, uh, Maya Hawk heard in the first one at the beginning of the film uh, or no, the, the boy heard it. What's his name? Oh, the skeleton, guy. the skeleton guy. Yeah. He heard the voices, but, uh, you know, stuff is going down. We're very confused. I didn't know if they were going to like activate something, mm-hmm. but basically the wall uh, because remember the wall from the first movie and when it uh, drew Sam's name into it uh, is kind of like the uh, Necronomicon, I guess the Necro <laughs> I guess. Uh, Tommy's name gets kind of carved into the wall via supernatural powers, and he, uh, he loses his mind and, and stuff goes down.
1: Yeah, so uh, like you said, they they see all the names of the Shady Side killers and then Tommy's name under it, so it's like, all right, here we go. Tommy is, of course, then uh, uh, possessed and his first kill is poor Arnie. The nice stoner guy who probably was very innocent. Um, So, of course, that's terrible. Super traumatic. You would never expect Tommy, who, just like Sydney is a very, uh, you know, a rule follower. Uh, Ziggy later, you know, refers to him and, you know, makes fun of him because he would never do anything like that. Um, So, yep, he's possessed now. He's the next one. So, you know, there's kind of a, a chase scene. Um, he is trying to kill everyone essentially. Um, and then, uh, the girls are able to, to run away. Um, of course, Alice is freaking out. That was her boyfriend. Cindy's freaking out cause that was her boyfriend. Uh, terrible situation, but they're, you know, just trying to flee. And as all of that is going on, uh, we get, you know, the, again, the parallel of, uh, Nick and Ziggy together. um, they're, you know, bonding, they're having their cute moments. And basically, uh, Tommy is able to reach the camp while this is all going on. Um, and he <laughs> just starts killing everyone literally everyone, children, every person in his way. Uh, there's a scene where um, the shady cider who represented them in the color war, who was saying, everyone do you know do your best she was kind of the hippie girl she was a stoner as well and there was a funny part earlier on where she said she wanted to hook up with the the sunny valer a jock um and so eventually they do and right after they stop having sex uh tommy comes out axes her right up um so this movie now that you know the murders are starting to happen it does not slow down at all and this movie definitely has more kills than part one.
2: Yeah. And this part is definitely paced better, too, in terms of the kills. It ramps up. And then once it gets to that top and kind of roller coasters down, like you mentioned, it doesn't stop. And it's awesome. Uh, the the kills kind of, like, shocked me a little bit. because I was like, is he going to go to camp and just kill a bunch of children? And he does. And like uh, the ages aren't specifically defined, but... It's summer camp. You can imagine there's a smorgasbord of ages going on. Um, And all while that is going on, Cindy and Alice are trapped in the cavern. And Alice, uh, her ankle breaks or she twists her leg or something. Uh, And she's kind of uh, immobile now. So they're trying to figure their way out of there while Tommy is running rampant and just killing people. All while doing so, um, we get more background on Seraphir and what's going on in the cavern. Because in the journal that they found in the infirmary, it turns out that the kind of like witch's mark slash like pentagram type of diagram, something like that, uh, in fact, is a maze uh, and a map of the cavern that they're in. And they start to uh, try to figure their way out of there, which is awesome. And we also kind of get more bonding between Cindy and Alice, which is really, really cool. And what I just thought of, which is interesting, because you mentioned the parallel between Nick and Ziggy, right? The, I wonder if there was like something like specifically designed when it came to like Cindy and Tommy being like the perfect couple of the movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And like Ziggy being this outsider. And then when she meets Nick, her relationship starts to blossom a little bit while Cindy's just deteriorates into my boyfriend is now a mass murderer. Um, also, you know, not to mention for those who've seen the first part, Uh, Tommy is the axe man essentially um, because he's you know red flannel got an axe and there's a cool part that comes up later in the movie but this is uh, the origin story of one of the killers which is cool which I really really liked that on top of Ruby Lane has kind of explained everybody except for the creepy kid at the end which is really creepy I didn't know what that was all about but yeah Tommy's going on the mass murder spree Uh, he ends up like you mentioned, killing the uh, shady side team captain, I guess, of the color war. Yeah, Joan. Um, you know, having sex in a horror movie is a no no. Yeah. Just don't do it. You die. Uh, and all while doing so, Ziggy and Nick get to uh, hatch the plan to get back at the mean girl. She gets all of the, the bugs on her and she was locked in an outhouse. And all while doing so, uh, you know, the killer's running rampant. Nick is like, Hide, don't go anywhere. You know, protect yourself. We're getting out of here. And Ziggy's like, Oh crap, I locked the girl in the bathroom. So she runs to the bathroom, and in there, a little bit of a, a, a tussle occurs. And in doing so, she ends up knocking her out, which is like, Whoa, crazy. I didn't know Ziggy was super strong. Um, and then the guy. Can't remember the actor's name, but he's from the 2018 Halloween movie. Yeah, he's uh, the best friend of the, girl. the of Jamie Lee Kurtz's granddaughter. Yeah, and he like he tra- tries to kiss her in the part where he starts talking to the air before he gets Michael Myers. That I love that kid. Um, but he's also a uh, a camp member here. I think he's a counselor. counselor yeah. I don't know if he's a shady Sider or a sunny Valor. I don't think it's explained. But um, he goes to investigate. And he's like, hey, we're getting out of here. And then uh, Tommy shows up, and he gets beheaded right yeah. yeah he loses his head and at this point uh kills are graphic arnie's death is super graphic like multiple hacks to the face uh we got a beheading we got a uh, a girl in a nightgown getting absolutely destroyed by an axe so the gore here is definitely uh superseding the first one and mm-hmm. i really enjoyed it
1: yeah, I agree. I think, you know, we were excited about the first one because of the bread slicer kill. That was obviously awesome, but that was just one kill. There were multiple. I think there were like six or seven, but none of them were, you know, that exciting. <laughs> Couple stabs, you know, <laughs> don't need to see it. Didn't do anything for me. But these are, yeah, incredibly bloody, incredibly graphic. Um, and you're on the edge of your seat the whole time. So it's just fun. Like i really just enjoyed watching everything that was going on in this point um and then of course while they're in kind of the outhouse uh it just coincidentally happens that cindy and alice under the ground are right where the outhouse is they're screaming you know trying to help um, the camp counselor who unfortunately gets killed by tommy he tries to help them uh doesn't happen So at least, you know, Ziggy was nervous about Cindy being alive. Cindy was nervous about Ziggy being alive. They know they're alive. They know they're okay. Um, So now they basically, you know, have to try to figure out how either how to stop Tommy or just how to to leave. And at this point, too, uh, just before uh, the camp counselors were kind of trying to get all the kids onto buses so they could leave. Uh, So, they figured all that out. So, the bus is gone, um, and it's basically Ziggy and Cindy and Alice just alone here, and they have to kind of take on Tommy.
2: Yeah, and there's something interesting that gets thrown into this this movie, where in the center of the maze, assumedly, there's this, like, black, like... Sludge looking thing and it's gross and it's like just like pulsating and stuff like that and we're like that must be like Maybe that's the heart of Seraphir. We don't or the heart of the curse. We don't really know um, that's kind of teased a little bit but after the outhouse and everyone escapes on the bus What ends up happening is they try to lift her out of the bathroom with a bucket and a rope But Tommy ended up intervening and that's when the beheading happened. They fall back down into the maze and now it's again a a way to try to uh, survive and it all leads to uh two things one they go to kind of like i guess the main camp center um where nick and ziggy are hiding out and there's a whole scene where like a snake crawls on her and she hates snakes and and that's supposed to say like oh she's willing to do anything to survive even her fear of snakes won't you know lead her to death but uh, what's interesting here is that more of the curse is explained, uh, because Nick ends up getting attacked. He gets uh, hit by the ax, but it was kind of inadvertently, he kind of threw himself in the way and Tommy's like, mm, sorry, but I don't want to kill you. And he's like, I, I, like, I, yeah. my bad. Um, and he goes after Ziggy. So clearly he wants the shady siders. That's why sunny bailers are, you know, presumed to be this good people. They don't. I guess in, in incur the wrath of serial killers or a witch's curse. But, um, I like that, that lore is established that Summy of are not the target of this curse. It's very much the shady siders and Ziggy goes running, gets to the mess hall where Cindy ends up also making her way there. And there's a bit of a, a chasing, a bit of a anxiety and anticipation as, as Ziggy is hiding from Tommy. And as she kind of gets cornered, um, Cindy ends up busting through a, uh, a grate in the, uh, in the floor. She climbs out, she helps Tommy or helps C- uh, Ziggy and she kills Tommy because, uh, you know, sometimes you got to kill your boyfriend when they're possessed by, by witches. But what's really cool about this is that Alice also makes her way up to the mess hall and they had a conversation on their way, um, in the maze in the earlier part of the movie where she's like, Could you kill your boyfriend? And she's like, I don't know, I've never killed anybody. And Alice is like, I'd kill him in a heartbeat. He killed my boyfriend. He's dying. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, But that character, you know, uh, kind of progression uh, leads Cindy to end up having to kill Tommy, uh, which is cool. You know, it's a big revelation for her and a big moment. And then we kind of get the the full like reconciliation between the two sisters between Alice and Cindy. And a big part of the movie that well, I don't want to say big part, but a, a, an important detail that's very much highlighted is Cindy's obsession with her polo shirt. She loves her striped shirt, and she's very upset when it gets dirty, when it gets ripped. And the whole thing is revealed that you know their parent, uh, the the two sisters didn't really live a, a good life. Their parents um, were separated, and uh, was it, the mom left the dad, and the dad became. An alcoholic or something, yeah, something like that. Similar to like Dina, sorry. Right. Something similar. But, uh, the, the whole thing is that Cindy thought that she could get out of this town by being a goody two shoes, by changing her character, by trying to avoid danger at all costs and hoping that that would lead her out of Shadyside, which I liked because that explains the motivation. She apologizes to Alice and They have a huge, like, hugging party, which is awesome. And then she apologizes to Ziggy for kind of uh, ignoring her as a sister as she was growing up. And it's all happy between our three uh, protagonists. But that is not the case, Natalie, is it?
1: (laughs) Nope. And I was yelling the entire time because this is what always happens in a movie. You're having your heartfelt moment and you forget. What's happening in reality um sydney kills tommy but i guess you know us watching the first movie we know that he's gonna come back to life (sighs) so that's what happens he uh comes back to life and yeah i I was really just (laughs) yelling the entire time that i was like why are you having a cute moment right now this is what always happens just look like just i don't know hit him more times or something um so what they're gonna do, I forget what happens next with Tommy, because he comes back to life, but then they somehow get out of it and go to figure out to figure out
2: Seraphir's hand. Right. Yeah, so they have Seraphir's hand. And they found it in the cave and they're like, Oh cool, we have the hand of the witch, uh which is which is very interesting because uh, the the hand is kind of a subplot in this movie. It obviously plays into a bigger picture in the whole trilogy, but Alice is like, Oh cool. I found the witch's hand. Got any more Tylenol? Um, <laughs> but so Alice is carrying it with her because I guess she's kind of hell bent on doing what nurse lane was trying to do because nurse lane was searching for the hand the entire time, hoping that it would end the witch's curse. But when Tommy wakes up uh, this time, he is fully realized as the ax man because he has the bag over his head. The, the character from the first one is fully here. We know how he was created, which is super cool. And Alice dies. She gets axed and the two sisters are like, okay, we got the hand. We got to go put it back. Uh, because in uh, that, that black sludge thing that we mentioned, uh, it reproduces Ruby lane, which was weird and gross, but, Ruby Lane comes stumbling out of there and they're like, okay, we got to go, got to go put the witch's hand at the tree or something like that. The same tree from the beginning of the movie where Ziggy is being bullied by these mean girls who I am now. Remember the one is named Sheila. Yeah, Sheila's the, the, the really mean one. She, she's very, very mean. Um, so they end up running to the tree and they hope that they can put the, tr- the, the hand back in the ground, I guess. And that'll solve the problem. But as as they get there, they start to dig. They start to put the hand, in. they look around, and they say, "You know what? Nothing's nothing's happening because from one angle you got Tommy coming in, from another angle you got Ruby laying her switchblade, who still looks badass, and then you got this creepy looking kid with a mask and a two by four. And is there one more? I think there's- yeah, there's one more. There's another old guy. Mm-hmm. I, oh, maybe the priest. Maybe. I. They all came from that black sludge thing, and they're all the curse of Seraphir. But as they get there to the tree, um, they're like, crap. Cindy's like, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. Got to get out of here. And she runs and we get a very gruesome, uh, very like sad death scene where both of these sisters are just stabbed and axed to death. And at some point, I was like, this is too much. This is like, Bordering on like the, okay, we get it. Like, cut it out. What are we doing?
1: Yeah, this part was crazy. Like, I was just telling Max before we started recording that I kind of rewatched this movie last night. I was doing other things and kind of had it on the background just to refresh my memory. And when this part came, I stopped everything I was doing. And I was like, oh, this part is crazy. I need to watch it again it was just so good like slow motion that's one part and yeah both of them are killed um ziggy is stabbed repeatedly and sydney is axed repeatedly so you know she's not coming back and uh we'll take our final break here but when we come back i want to ask max about uh the realization about c berman <laughs> So at this point, this is when the whole movie, I thought that Sydney was C. Berman. So I kept being like, okay, when is Ziggy going to die? Like, what's going to happen? So at this point is when I, my mind started being like, N- what is happening? Like, there's no way Sydney's coming back to life. She was chopped up with an axe. Whereas Ziggy, it's still not believable, but at least it was... <laughs> Not an act. So Max knew about the reveal before watching the movie, thanks to Wikipedia. Um, so what were what were your thoughts about their kind of identity at this point? You just knew the
2: entire time
1: that Sydney was C Berman, or that Ziggy was E Berman.
2: Yeah, uh, apologies to our listeners because I spoiled it apparently at the end of the last episode for our review. I was like, oh, she's returning as something ziggy berman constance or something like that whatever her name is yeah which is not Constance. so wikipedia not only wronged me but it spoiled me um so like quickly the 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 whole kind of like cinematography around them both getting killed uh is cool i really like the slow motion everything like that once they're both lying on the ground she just gets axed unnecessarily just a lot just like Tommy knew she was dead. She had to know, like, or he had to know. It was just like too much at this point. But, um, yeah, she uh, she's dead. She got a huge axe in a hole in her uh, chest, and Ziggy is coughing up blood and also suffering severe internal bleeding and is dead. And at this point, there's I don't know if it was like supposed to be like a, a interesting like pose of them both lying on the dirt, like Ziggy reaching out to her sister to be like. I love you. Don't, don't forget me. Or if it's supposed to be like creation, that, that famous poem, uh, that famous painting. Definitely not. But, um, they're lying there and I'm like, okay, so one of them is going to live because we need a Berman here. Right. Um, and again, I read this Wikipedia article, so I knew it was going to be Ziggy and I didn't think like one way or the other. If I didn't know it was going to be like, whoa, crazy. They're both named C Berman. um, the the thing that just took me out of that entire moment was the fact that Ziggy is coughing up blood and Nick shows up and the answer to everything apparently in these movies is CPR. And I'm sorry, I, I'm not a doctor. Don't quote me. But I don't think CPR can resuscitate people suffering from massive internal bleeding and multiple stab wounds you you went to medical school you could correct me
1: i did not go to medical school school but yeah i agree i was wondering if it was trying to be like a subversion of like they're both very dead like who's it gonna be but because we knew from the first movie from like the newspaper clippings or whatever that c berman did die and came back to life so she had to get like pretty messed up but the multiple stab wounds coughing up blood yeah the cpr just not not gonna cut it like i don't know what they could have done differently but it definitely wasn't <laughs> wasn't realistic um but that's what it is nick comes saves the day he's conveniently still there don't know where he was this whole time um comes and saves the day and of course. Uh, This is kind of when I guess the the paramedics come um, Ziggy's being you know put into an ambulance um, and when they ask her her name she says it's Ziggy and Nick is the one to make the grand reveal of her real name is Christine Which I thought that was fine. I liked it because I really didn't know up until, you know, just before this that it was going to be Ziggy. That is C. Berman. Um, But what I didn't like, and we talked about this already, is that um, in real time, as C. Berman is telling the story, we hear Dina and Josh be like, wait, that you're Ziggy? Like what? And that that bit was unnecessary. (laughs)
2: It was extremely unnecessary, and it was corny, and I didn't like that part. Um, I don't, I would not have had the same reaction. It sounds like you didn't have that same reaction. Like yeah. You were like, oh, okay, cool, I guess. Um, and I doubt there was like anything in the producer's room where they were like, okay, let's get two big stars from Stranger Things, and in the first one, we'll kill her off, a la Drew Barrymore, and in the second one, we'll make you think she's dead, but then we're going to bring her back to life. And I, I doubt that happened, but... Yeah, subversion aside, whatever. Uh, the other plot hole here is that why is Tommy extremely concerned with making sure that his, I guess, prey I, or who? the time make that makes it sound really, really creepy. But you know, his person that he's trying to kill is deader than dead, and the other ones are just like, yep, yeah, seems dead. Yeah. Um, so that was weird.
1: Um, Ziggy is the one that Sarah Fear is after at this point Sydney was just like sacrificing you know like I'll stand in the way type of thing maybe because Tommy was a new henchman he didn't have the brains he didn't have the the strategy mapped up he listened to the strategy and took minimal notes no I don't know it made no sense
2: he read like the cliff notes on how to be a Sarah Fear killer oh man yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, because Cindy or Christine um, Ziggy, she started to bleed. She touched the hand and she saw Seraphir. So that was why her name got carved into the into the stone of the wall. Um, yeah, I don't know. And then, yeah, Dina and Josh, who, again, we're just like, please, writers, do better by these characters. <laughs> and, we knew already. Yeah, we knew. And it's just like, wait you're C Berman. Oh my God. And I'm like, dude, come on. Like a- at this point, like our character, our Dina and Josh have gone through a night of evading, uh, possessed, uh, serial killers. And, that's the most th- and they're like, wait a second. You're C Berman. Hold on. All this other stuff. Put that aside. You're C Berman. No way. I wouldn't have believed you. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, that's the end of camp Nightwing. Um, very cool. The camp is awesome. And after we get transported back to, uh, present day in 1999, uh, they're like, okay, well, you're C Berman. What do we do now? And Dina is like, do you still have the hand? I'm going to go take care of business. And she ends up going back to the tree and guess what? The tree is the same tree from 1978. And I guess the realization is that the the camp doesn't exist anymore, I guess, because I, I don't know how they would keep a, a camp open after, yes. <laughs> after a mass murder. Uh, but the, that kind of connection is made and she goes to bury Sarah Fear's hand with the body because, you know, Christine was talking about how she, they couldn't find the body. It wasn't, we weren't able to reconnect it. And Dina's like, Oh, I found the body. I got this. Give me the hand. So she puts the hand in the grave and in doing so she gets, teleported, uh, I guess to some medieval town. Um, I mean, it's not really medieval, but it's uh, 1666 as we know from the title of the, the final part of this trilogy. And she's kind of looking around. She doesn't really know what's going on. She looks in the reflection of the water and she sees Sarah Fear. But when we look at, uh, you know, the person it's, it's Dina. So it seems that Dina is in Seraphir's body. Um, somehow, some way at this point, Okay, like I'm not going to be like, nah, that's stupid, I'm done. Uh, but yeah, that gives us the uh, the setup for the final part of the movie. And that is 1978 wrapped up all into one. Now, I know it sounds like we crapped on the end of the movie a lot, which we kind of did. But we did really, really enjoy this movie. And I'm interested to see what you give it out of 10 because I think you gave it a 6.5, the first one, right?
1: did i think i was 7.5 were you
2: yeah i don't remember i criticized you for 0.5 something yeah um but yeah i think i gave it a seven and you gave it a 7.5 because you didn't want to give it an eight which i said that's come on 7.5 is because you're scared to give it an eight so yeah we did enjoy that one but this one i feel is a solid solid eight i really like this movie
1: Yeah, I would say eight as well. Um, I actually, I mean, even though there were parts that we called out about the ending, I really liked the ending. I also really liked how when we were introduced to C. Berman in the beginning of the movie, the song, The Man Who Sold the World was playing and then it replayed at the end. I thought it just like wrapped everything up together nicely and it explained why C. Berman has all those alarms, why she locks her doors every two minutes or whatever it is and is, you know, a recluse. So I thought, I really, I did really like the ending, even though there were a few obvious parts that they could have taken out. Um, but yeah, I would say innate, I really, really liked it. I liked it better than the first one and I'm excited to watch the third movie. What do you want to get out of the third movie?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, before we also forgot something because also going on at the end of the movie, uh, you know, there's a little bit of like flirting between Nick and Ziggy. In the, the flashback where obviously you mentioned Stephen King and the the police chief guy, whatever, radios to Sheriff Good in present day and is like, someone calls you about a book club you used to be in or something, and I was like, Oh, that's cute. I like that. I hope they end up together or they both die together. And I like, you know, Ziggy and Nick are my Two second favorite pairing, but but after Dina and Josh. Um, but yeah, out of the third one. So it's confusing because we don't know how this is going to wrap up. Is it going to just be like a soul flashback? Which I kind of hope it's not, because if we just do a whole plain flashback, we just did a whole flashback for a movie. I don't need another hour and 45 minutes of a flashback, but the movie's obviously called 1666. So there's going to be some time travel involved Of well with the ending. Um, I guess we need more explanation on how Sarah fear came to be the possessed witch of the land. We understand like she left her hand here. So she has claim to the soul and the land or whatever the nursery rhyme goes. And what's also interesting is that the, tr- at the end of this one, you know, the, Teaser for it, which is cool. I like that they put the teaser yeah. for the movie at the end of uh, set nineteen seventy eight. Um, all of our main characters kind of seem to be there somehow. So, in some way, Josh gets teleported, uh, which is interesting. And I don't know if that's just like supposed to put like friendly faces to the characters we know, so we're not just like meeting a whole new cast for the third time, and they weren't uh, too privy on doing that. But I need. I guess a, a witch trial scene. I want to see why Sarah fear died and what caused her kind of like crucible style. Like it is my name. And you know, John Proctor and all that good stuff. Um, but also I want a good chunk of this movie to be set in 1999 because we need a, a conclusive wrap to Dina and Josh's story and Sam as well. Um, Sam still tied up. Oh no, they, they removed the phone cord. They tied her up with some rope or something. Um, I still don't know how that phone cord held her you know, tied up like that, or if that, how she even did it after being stabbed. But I don't know. What are you hoping to get out of it?
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. We need to go back to, to present day, to the nineties, to just wrap up the story, figure out what happens to Sam, um, make sure Dina and Josh are happy because they're the best, but also I'm really excited to see, um just 1666 just seeing like the witch vibes and creepy stuff. I know Jeremy Ford when we interviewed him teased like, you know, bad like religion, you know, when people are super super religious and have, you know, malpractices and evil things. I don't know. The whole time period is extremely scary to me, so I just want a lot of that and I hope that it gets really dark.
2: Yeah. I think the only two like time period pieces from that that I really like. I really like the crucible, not so much the Same. the movie, but Daniel Day Lewis is great. But I do like the the book from when I read it in, in high school. Uh, and of course, we both love the witch and the witch. We're not expecting the witch from this movie, because if that was the case, this movie would get trashed on by us, which is, it won't be. But, you know, that's just unnecessary uh, comparisons. So, yeah, I... I think it'll be good. I hope I enjoy it. Uh, I'm sure I will. Uh, I'm excited to review it and, and bring it into this trilogy. I, I don't know. I wonder, I, I don't think it's going to have a happy ending. I just, I don't, I think, I think there's some, some more deaths in 1999 to come.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm not always a fan of a happy ending. I think that it's too, you know, convenient, but Eh, it is kind of you know a mainstream movie series, so I wouldn't be surprised if there was a happy ending, at least for Dina and Sam and Josh.
2: Yeah, I think I'm gonna make a prediction. I think C. Berman and and Sheriff Good both bite the dust some way, somehow, because obviously Nick is a Sunnyvale by trade. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh he was born in Sunnyvale. um but obviously he's the the sheriff of of Shadyside. Um and you know, we also got you know, we didn't really mention this, but it it's brought up why uh there was a falling out between the two because when the cop showed up, uh the officer Kapowski or whatever whatever the hell his name is is like, what happened here, Nick? And he's like, just another shady side or gone wrong. And I was like, you son of a bitch. But, uh, you know, there's going to be a reconciliation there. I'm sure both of them are going to die. I think that's just my, my bold prediction for the movie. You know, in the same way that, like, you know, Final Destination 2, when they bring back Ali Larder, she dies. Um, that's not, oh, come on. The I mean, movie came out in 2001. I'm kidding. No, you're not kidding. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, that's my bold prediction. Do you got one?
1: Um. I do not. I'm just excited to see what happens, um, and i I hope it's not, you know, predictable. Not saying that your prediction would be predictable, but I wanna I wanna be surprised. I think, um, and we'll see if this third movie gets a higher rating than an eight. That would be, that would be surprising. That would surprise me.
2: It's very tough for, for trilogies for the third movie in the franchise to get a higher score. Usually, the first one's great. Or the first one's okay and the second one takes it to a new level and then the third one is like, we didn't need this. Like, Terminator. Um, that's unless a good... Unless you're talking about Lord of the Rings. Okay, unless you're talking about Lord of the Rings, apparently. Um, wait, no. Return of the King is the... Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, Return of the King is the best one. Um, so, yeah. Is it going to be like Scream where the first one's amazing, the second one's okay, and the third one is just god-awful? I hope not because that wouldn't follow the plot we're following. I, I We're kind of in the Terminator timeline where the first one's pretty good and then the second one is just top tier sequels of all time you know it's obviously mentioned in in scream and they're like Terminator 2 Judgment Day um, but yeah I don't know I, I, I will say these have been a welcome surprise I've enjoyed all of these um, I think Jeremy did a great job selling these movies uh, sucks he wasn't in this one he, he could have been in here somewhere it's like a cameo just like I'm Peter or something, and he just like shows up or Or some way, somehow, maybe like his parents were teased in a commercial or something like that would have been cool. Because there is a bit of a a mayor commercial going on uh, in part of the movie where we get the connection of the good family. So, yeah, I don't know. I wish Jeremy Ford was in this one in some way, somehow. But if you still haven't checked out that interview, go listen to it. Uh, And if you still haven't checked out these movies, go watch it. But listen to Jeremy's interview first if you're still a little bit unsure on these movies. And if you want to give them a watch. And if you are... I don't know why, like Loki finished. You should be done with that. I'm not, mm-hmm. but you should be done with that. And if you're craving horror, I guess stranger things even. And if you're no, like stranger things isn't scary at all, but there are stranger things vibes to it. These movies are scarier. You know, they didn't scare us per se yeah. because our tolerance is a little higher and slasher movies for us. Don't, you know, outside of jump scares in the, fr- the first one, just riddled with jump scares. Uh They're not, overtly scary they're not going to turn you off from watching these movies
1: yeah i agree i would definitely recommend them to most people i mean it's netflix you know it's not going to be anything (laughs) terribly insane uh but yeah like like we said we both really recommend both of these movies we can't wait to watch the third movie part three 1666 which comes out today and we will be reviewing on the podcast next week So let us know what you think about these movies, if you agree with our rating, and hopefully we'll give the third movie um, a high score as well. So make sure that you tune in next week to hear all about 1666.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card.